Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner, and BizSimply is the all-in-one HR workforce management rotate operation software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. I would agree. Happiness is an individual journey, individual experience. And I think prescribing people saying that, okay, if you do this, you'll be consistently happy all the time. It's a fake. It doesn't work like that. We have different experiences, different uh, environments in which we operate, different values, different likes and dislikes. And it's absolutely okay to try something and say, I understand that science advises that this is good for us, but it's not for me. It's maybe not for me, for you in that particular format. Maybe you could try the way you're using a certain hack, but sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, this is not for me. I'm actually going to do something else and that's okay. So I would definitely say this very individual journey and we shouldn't shy away for creating toolboxes and tools that are right for us and sticking with those rather than trying to copy or implement something and force it because that's definitely not going to improve our happiness in the long term. Meet the amazing Claudia Mitura, host of one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, The Happiness Challenge. This is the second time we have an honor of having on our show. We start the conversation to catch up where we left last time we were talking about happiness and how she has developed the podcast and the general mission of making people more happy. We talk about what happiness means for people and actually they mean different things and we also talk about Claudia's definition and what are really some of the typical misconceptions there is around happiness. We also talk about the pursuit of happiness has become a multi-billion dollar industry with self-help books, seminars, online courses, and what else you can find. And which one should you choose? Which one is the most effective? And actually where are the best places to go and find learning about this? And you will learn that Claudia really believes it has to be something that's backed up by science. We also talk about negative emotions and actually how we actually radical have to accept they're part of life and suppressing them can be very counterproductive. So she gives you some tools how you can navigate these negative emotions and still maintain your overall happiness and well-being. We also discussed that with the, the pandemic there came a huge influx of digital time and we talk about the, the opportunities and also the challenges this has to to happiness in our work life. We also talk about how we can get a healthy balance between online and offline lives. And we discuss a bit what it all gonna mean in the future as technology advances. 
If you liked today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review of the show on either on our website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guests, and ultimately, the better the learning is for you. Let's work on our happiness. Enjoy. Today, we'll try our best to have extreme levels of happiness. I know some people out there, as I thought about it the first time I heard this definition about happiness and mindfulness, it's like, isn't it a bit awake? It's a bit difficult to understand. Then for years, I've been on this journey and, and today's guest has also been on this journey, understanding what happiness is and how it really can impact us both positively and also negatively if we don't work practically with it. And Claudia has actually been on the show before as well. And that's, I'm always super excited. And you know that out there, that when, when people come back, because then we can elaborate on where they moved on their journey, but also what they've learned about their subject since it last time. And I know from last time, because I was in looking at the downloads numbers and the engagement over time, this is an episode last time where uh, Claudia's uh, uh, partner in crime at that time, Kitty also was part of, is actually being played still. It still comes up once in a while. And this was uh, episode number 86, and we had 226 now this week. So again, it's an oldie but goodie that works. So there is something around this happiness. But enough about being ranting on about this. Welcome to the show, Claudia. It's great to have you back again. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael. It's uh, so amazing to reconnect. What's happened since we talked last time? Because there's definitely been some shifts in, in your life, but you're still doing the the happiness challenge is called now the podcast. You're still doing that, but there's been lots of change around what you did since we connected in the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. But back in 2020, when we connect, sorry, back in 2020, yeah, it was back 2020. 2020, yeah. Oh my goodness, I'm getting confused. Back in 2020, I had a very difficult time period, as you may remember from that first episode, because as many... The pandemic cut me out from my family. I lost my job within the hospitality sector. I needed to cancel my wedding. And later on that year, I got very, very sick with COVID and had a long COVID for ages. And also, both my father and my sister were diagnosed with cancer. So actually, when I saw you, yeah. things were okay. <laughs> I was managing and then things went really, really very, very difficult. And during that difficult period of time, I wanted to have a positive purpose and hence why I started the happiness challenge. I wanted to experiment and apply scientific research on happiness to my daily ups and downs. Yeah. Because let's be honest, it's, it's easy to be happy when everything is gravy and groovy. <laughs> That's yeah. easy. I think it's much harder to find happiness when things are really challenging. So the happiness podcast does, the, ha the happiness challenge podcast does exactly this. I'm trying to test drive the best happiness hacks that are out there to be able to manage and ha be happy when things are tougher. But what has changed is, of course, I've been continuing to learn more uh, about the happiness and the science of happiness, and we're going to dive deeper into that. But I also... Uh, started a new role uh, as a learning and development manager at the Science Museum Group, where I lead on building learning culture 
and strengthening the engagement of over 1,500 colleagues across seven different sites. So that's from that professional level. And from a personal level, both my uh, father and my sister, they're doing very well. They're on constant checkups as always, and we live from a checkup to a checkup. But overall, things did, did got better. And I did have had to have my wedding in Poland, which was amazing as well last year. So all in all, you know, things, things got better and definitely improved. Well, and I, I think that's what we're going to talk about as well is that, you know, difficult times actually can also, if you can manage them and can actually create happiness, so, you know, you know, facing the obstacles and actually benefiting from the obstacles. And I think we'll come back to that. So the story of the happiness challenge, I think there'll be people tuning into this that hasn't heard episode number 86. They will, after this conversation, probably go back and check that out. But can you talk a bit about like the story, the mission of that project besides it was actually a way for you to find tools and talk with people about actually you know, helping yourself, which I think is a brilliant way of, of doing it. Can you talk a bit about that and actually, you know, where you are now with it? Because you're still doing it, even though you have a job, you're still consistently, we talked a bit about that before we started this interview, the power of consistency and what you really learn about yourself and other people as you interview people on something you find extremely interesting. Yes, absolutely. So the happiness challenge started with the idea of me giving me a purpose to concentrate on something different, something positive when I was dealing with so many different difficulties. And it was giving me a mind break to think about something else. And then also helped me to learn about what is actually happiness. We all speak about happiness. We all say we want to be happy, but what on earth is it? And how can you achieve it when things are especially difficult? So why turn into a science? Because I'm a work psychologist and, and I love to describe myself as a scientist. And I just wanted to know what's have been out there research. And most importantly, how can this work for me? So the, fa- the, the happiness challenge, the way it works is that I interview a well-being and happiness research, happiness experts on my podcast. I learn from them and then I tr- test out the different happiness hacks. And then I come back to my audience and say, well, this is what I've learned. This is how you could use it. And sometimes my experience confirms the research. Sometimes it contradicts it really interestingly, which is even more juicy then. But generally, I give, I, I dare people to be happy by stopping, pausing, and cre- to think how we can be happier, how we can create more happiness, rather than relying on our brain to dish, dish out all these different emotions every day. So in a nutshell, I dare people to be happy by experimenting with the science of happiness. Yeah. What what is the mission now? Because I guess that you've been you went through a difficult time and the purpose at that point was to have something positive to focus on this is that what is the mission now of the happiness challenge? What is it that it should do in the world? Again, provide people with best happiness hacks that you can try out in your life to improve your level of happiness and life satisfaction. So 
it is, I'm still on the journey or finding out what is out there. Even then I might be much more happier now than I was in the past, but it's still that journey and exploration of things are always changing in our life. We always need to be adjusting how we can be having tools ready to help us to feel happier. Yeah, and, and, and it's really interesting, you know, we, we're going to come to the definition of or your definition of happiness in, in a second, but you said something really interesting. You tried some things and I'm just going to revert back to something you said, and some of them worked really well and some of it contradictory didn't work really well. Do you think that's because people need different tools or some happiness, you know, some people would really get much more happy if they meditate. I really, I try to meditate sometimes, especially when the pressure is really high and it's just about getting my brain to be slower, but it's not something I use consistently to keep myself. It doesn't really work for me to become happy or balanced as I call it as well. Like it's not really setting me up for that. If I forget it, it doesn't matter, but there's other things. If I forget them, my happiness goes south in a way. So what is your view on, on that? And been trying all these different things. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Happiness is an individual journey, individual experience. And I think prescribing people saying that, okay, if you do this, you'll be consistently happy all the time. It's a fake. It doesn't work like that. We have different experiences, different uh, environments in which we operate, different values, different likes and dislikes. And it's absolutely okay to try something and say, I understand that science advises that this is good for us, but it's not for me. It's maybe not for me, for you in that particular format. Maybe you could try the way you're using a certain hack, but sometimes it's okay to say, you know what, this is not for me. I'm actually going to do something else and that's okay. So I would definitely say it is very individual journey and we shouldn't shy away for creating toolboxes and tools that are right for us and sticking with those rather than trying to copy or implement something and force it because that's definitely not going to improve our happiness in the long term. Yeah, well, that's super interesting. We'll keep that in mind as we go through here because that's also one of my own experiences trying out different kind of systems to achieve happiness, balance, productivity hacks, exactly. I found out what works, for example, for Tim Ferriss would, might not work. For me, meditation is a, is a great example. I then meditate in a different way. I meditate when I run. So if I run four to five times a week, I feel very calm, very settled in many ways. And can, of course, people at work with me would say that goes up and down because there's also something called values and beliefs. And you need to take that into it. So we'll come back to that. So what is your, you know, what is, you know, how do you define happiness? Because I've asked this question to, to many people in different kind of way, and maybe not use the word happiness, but people have really different ways of describing it. And I was actually preparing for this. And actually, I can remember I did an interview with a, another person that is, is very much into this thing and you, as well as Chip Conley, the famous old hotelier. And he said, happiness. Wanting what you have divided with having what you want. That was like his cryptical, you know, way of defining it. What is your, you know, from all the interviews you've done and all the insights you have now, 
how do you define happiness when you talk about it? So for me personally, it's about two components when I think about happiness. So first of all, it's about feeling in my own skin, feeling good in my own skin. So thinking about a moment in this particular moment, okay? I feel good. I feel positive. I may feel joyous, energetic, you name it, but I feel good in my own skin. And then there is a broader perspective about the happiness for me, which is how satisfied and happy I am with my overall life. And for me, that distinction between now and global perspective was very important because that meant that, okay, I may be experiencing now, right now big feelings of anger, frustration, sadness, but I might be still happy because I'm satisfied with my life. Mm. And for me, that distinction between overall perspective and then here and now perspective and balancing those two is what happiness is about. Yeah, it's really interesting because I made, had made some other notes as I was preparing for this. And I think I saw something about actually the most happy people, the most happy people in the world, scientific, and I think I can't find it in my note now, is people that can actually be satisfied with things and actually know when it's good enough. Like they have you no know, measuring points instead of people that is pursuing happiness and think it's that thing they, when I get that thing, when I get that house, when I get that salary, and when I get that role, I'll be more happy. But actually people that can be satisfied with the current state it's apparently scientifically, and I can't find the number, right? It was a quite crazy number. It was above the 75% was much more happier with life in general if they understood when they were satisfied, what a good day looked like. Yes, absolutely. So that's exactly what I'm trying to combine in my definition of happiness, daily moment of feeling good in my own skin, and then overall life satisfaction. and. Yeah, it, it helped me so much to move away from this conventional wisdom that we have in the society that I will be happy if, or I'll be happy when. And as you said, kind of creating those conditions and prerequisites of happiness, whereas actually you can be happy right now. It's just working with a certain tools to help you. And also thinking, okay, I might be experiencing something difficult right now, but I'm still satisfied with my life because look at this, the big picture, I have something that I really value. What is typical when you talk with people? Because I guess because of the, the work you do on a professional level day to day and also work with podcasts, lots of people ask you about, you know, happiness. And there's probably skepticism around the whole happiness, you know, there's happy workplace, there's happy work culture, there's being a happy person, there's all this, but what is like the typical misconceptions you hear from people or myth you hear about happiness? I think it's, so maybe two aspects really. First of all, it's really interesting to notice that we all have fall into trap of happiness paradox. 
And happy para happiness paradox is about the idea that we say that happiness is the ultimate goal in our life, but along the way, we tend to devalue it and stop concentrating on how to be happy. So the famous experiment on happiness paradox that you could do is imagine that you're going on, a, on your day, about your day as normal, but a genie appears in front of you, very, very obviously <laughs> realistic. And because the genie is, of course, all powerful, yeah. it, offered to grant you, it offers to grant you three wishes. Mm. Okay, great. So you're thinking, oh my God, great. I've been waiting for such a moment in, in, in uh, all my life. So on one breath, you think, okay, here it is what I truly wish for. And if you actually ask people, okay, so what do you wish for? People tend to, well, make lots of things that are supposed to make them happy. They want to have more money. They want to be famous. They want to find their soulmate. They want to have a family. They want to travel the world. You name it. And if you think about it, that is actually really strange because you are asking for things that potentially will make you happy, but you are not going to ask for happiness itself. No one asks a genie, hey, genie, I just want to be happy. Everyone asks for certain components that's supposed to contribute to their happiness, but we're saying every day that we just want to be happy. So. This is really interesting in where the way we think about happiness. Yeah, because actually I was, I was, you know, I was thinking about myself and I went back to some, some notes I did on some other things. I have this notion where I write some things and the word happiness I've written something about. And I found something from Sapo CEO, Tony Heesh, uh, the former the late Tony Heesh, and he talks about this, you know, he was one of the first to talk about this happy workplace culture, and you probably know more about it than me, but one of the things I noticed that time, he said that you know, happiness wears many different forms, and he talks about that, you know, can be happiness can be put into to pleasure, very short-term things like money, a car, or a special journey, or something, and then as soon as you get it, it tails off straight away, and then he talked about you know, passion, you know, something really passionate for a journey. You, when you work on that passion, it could be your sports. It could be maybe you like to do uh, puzzles. And when you make puzzles, you feel very happy. That's passion of your. And then he talks about when you're pursuing your purpose, if you're allowed in your day-to-day -day life, especially through your work, to pursue your purpose. And, and he said exactly the purpose bit that it's really important is the day-to-day, -day, that you every day can work on things and be together with people that you feel you live out your purpose. And I think what he tries to come back is that if you haven't defined why you're here, it's very difficult to be happy because it comes back to what we talked about before, how you're actually measuring when you're satisfied. When is mm. enough enough? Exactly. And the, the problem with relying on external factors, even though they, they, they are very important, it's that there is never enough. There is never enough. The pole always changes. Why? Because our brain suffers from adaptation. We adapt to the new lifestyle. We adapt to the new salary. We adapt to the new conditions. And therefore, we then need something more of. 
And if you look at the research around people's values, internal values versus external values. Mm -hmm. So internal values could be my following, as you said, my purpose or learning every day or uh, bringing joy to other people versus external, having a certain amount of possessions or having a certain level of fame. People who have internal values are just more satisfied with life and they're more happier than people who have external values. And that has been shown across lots of different studies when it comes to that extrinsic versus intrinsic values. So I agree with his concept about, about the idea that purpose, for instance, is one of the key components as well that is really important for happiness. Both at work, in terms of job crafting, can you can you link the operational tasks with a bigger purpose of the organization? The better you are in doing that, the more happier you will be and satisfied at work, but also in the sense of being on a quest, on a journey in your life and in terms of learning curiosity and wonder that will contribute to your happiness. What about, one of the things I was thinking as we're preparing for this as well, genetically, is there just some mm. people that is more happy than others? Yes. So, yes. So the question always is, are some of us naturally happier than others? Yeah. And theory, yes, but in practice is not that simple. And here you can look into research done by Sonia Lubomirsky, who is a positive psychology researcher, and she based her research on very extensive set of data, over 250,000 of data sets. She actually estimated that, yes, there is around 50% of, as in, let me rephrase this. She, she estimated that even though our happiness is determined by 50% by our genes, up to 50%, it is yeah. how your brain is wired up, your energy levels, your body, your neurotransmitters, that's all matters. They established something called happiness set point. Okay, they establish this kind of level of happiness you have. However, 10% is that happiness set point is impacted 10% only by circumstances that we are in. So the external yeah. factors. But what truly matters is the 40%, which is directly linked to the activities and habits that we repeat daily. Okay, that's super interesting. So you're saying actually we can determine that that actually leads a bit to my, my next question as well, because I think it's really important that the external factors, as you say, you're not in control of. Like you just talked about your story, you know, pandemic, you know, you couldn't see your family, you had to cancel your wedding, your beloved one got ill, it was out of your control and way. Things out of control, but exactly is our day-to-day -day things, what we do every day, that really matters from compared to the level of happiness we have. There's like 10% that's genetic, maybe? This no, so, so we have 50% genetics. You have quite okay, significant, yeah, 50%, quite significant, all about development of our brain. That's, then you have 10% circumstances, and the remaining 40% is your daily habits. So when you okay, have that... Good, good. 
when you have that happiness set point, you can fluctuate down like above it or below it. And if you have happiness boosting habits that you repeat every day, you then moving your set point to above, to you moving it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so as I said, yes, are some of us naturally happy in the other? In theory, yes, but in practice, we have a quite big, huge influence of how happier we are. So what we do every day, so maybe to use a bit of my own example, so I've defined what a great day look at, and it hangs over there on my, my wall, and it says a great day for me, so a happy day, is I learned, I created, I moved, I connected, I appreciated, I contributed. If I, in the evening, before I end my day, can say, yes, 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 then it's been a happy day. And then actually I go away and it works. It's a credible little hack that works. And actually that's, with that, I feel in control. And then I have numbers of other things I do every day, but I have like a routine now established. I've used over, probably really come together through the pandemic because I had the time really to get habits. Talk a bit more about, because people, we talk a lot about habits. Because, you know, running a podcast is a habit of its consistency in principle. How do you then then take control of what you can take control of? How do you create these habits in your view? You talk with so many people about, especially around happiness and how you create good habits around that. Is there any good advice around how to get started? Because if I'm so much in control of my own destiny when it comes to happiness, why wouldn't I get good habits? So I guess the first aspect is to, well, explore what are the happiness tools that you and habits that you could try. So again, we mentioned for you already, you're speaking about appreciation. It could be that you're having a gratitude body or gratitude journal. It could be that you want to try meditation. Maybe you love to move and you want to have exercise. Maybe it's about sound healings. You name it. There is lots of, lots of tools out there. The idea is that you then stick with them and implement them for significant amount of time. So they become part of your routine and way of working. So in order to do that, the easiest thing is to follow something I call, follow something researchers call habit stacking. Okay. Which means you do already lots of things in your life that is potentially really important to you. So in relation to that, just another habit so that you stick to it. So it might be that in the morning you make, you brewing your own coffee. Great. Why don't you, whilst brewing your own co uh, coffee, listen to sound, to healing sounds for five, 10 minutes? Because you know what? We know from research that healing sounds activate our parasympathetic nervous system our rest and digest branch of it, which means that our heart rate will slow down and that will keep you calm. So if you're then going into high level, impactful, stressful conversations, you're coming with a calm mindset and actually lower heart rate. That's one example of how you can stack habits. Or it might be that you love going on a walk, but whilst you're going on a walk, why don't you have a habit stacking of gratitude? When you talk to your friend on the walk and you speak and you share with them three things that you are grateful for, okay? So it's, it's thinking about what are you doing now that could be improved, that provides you that happiness boosting habit. Because 
What's really interesting is that our brain performs much better when we feel positive emotions rather than neutral or negative ones. And that later on translates into being more resilient, productive, creative. So whatever you decide to do in life later on that day, happiness can help you to get there. But we need to implement certain habits to help us to get in that right mindset. I think it's really interesting as well. And even when you do these things, that's one of my own learning, and you maybe have heard that for a little bit as well, Claudia, is that and sometimes you need to change that stack because things in your life change or the challenge you're up against is very different. And that's one of the things I've learned. There's some things that just stick. They're the same. I do every morning. Actually, the first thing I do is you say, actually, go up. I put water in the kettle, start drinking two big glasses of water because that's the biggest happiness hack I have found. It's like if you're hydrated, you can do many more things <laughs> and keep yourself hydrated during the day because you already started the hydration thing. And then while I, the coffee is brewing, I'm actually doing setting myself. I call it setting myself up for the day. But then every day what I've done, there's like the, then there's one more thing I do. And then it depends on where I am. I stack different things, what the stress levels or the challenge up again. I'll read a passion page and pages in the, the daily stoic. It's one page. I then do a bit of reflection work because the stoic operating system fits really well to my temperament and the philosophy around that. It's a bit like my religion, my operating system. When I've done those things, I'm going to have a reasonable chance for having a good day and actually being calm. But it could also be sometimes, as you said, where I'm highly stressed, where I actually put on my earphones as well afterwards and listen to some mindfulness or some sounds actually to be calm. Because if you're in a high stress situation, the last thing that works is panicking in a way and your happiness will go, go away. So I think it's really, really good advice you had there. But one of the things I've seen as well, and I sometimes I need to tweak them. It could be weeks, it could be months. But you know what? I'm actually, my personality style is that I don't like too much of a routine. So mm. actually, I, I as a person don't like that to do the same thing every day. But I have a selection of tools which I dip into and dip out every single day, depending Perfect. on what is happening that day, what's in front of me. So... And I adjust it depending what is my intention on the, for the day. So it might be that my intention for the day that I have something, um, some high impactful meetings and I need to bring the energy. Th then I'm going to start my day with a really good music to boost my dopamine and music that I will feel, you know, empowered by. Maybe something favorite from my from 90s that when I was a teenager. That's how I'm going to start my day. I'm not going to do calming exercises because actually that's, what, that's not what I need. Today, I have the intention to be energetic, to influence, to negotiate, go into tough conversation and actually smash them. So I need some boost. Other days, I need to sit down and create something beautiful at work. It can be a training. It could be that I need to do be doing something crafty. It might be that I'm working on my podcast episode and I need my creative juices to be flowing. And actually what I'm going to do is a quick creative exercises 
of thinking about 10 purposes for a paper clip, because that's what get my creative thinking going. So mm. I like to have a selection. I actually don't like to have a routine and I just like to be swapping between them, depending what I need. Yeah, that's what it really is. And I can do that, but I have to do these first things or else mm. I'm, I'm off. Like it's gonna, and I found out I actually, and I had, when in pandemic, you could do much more things. You could do your Joe weeks and you can, you had so much time and as the, you came out of the pandemic, you need to scale it back to you. So you could do it within 25 minutes, I say, then you have your baseline in place. And it, it's funny. I've heard similar people like you talk about, like, depends on the day, what I grab, because I don't want to do the same routines in the weekend as oh. I do in the the weekdays, because that means that my, I don't shift into, you know, recovery mode, which is really mm -hmm. interesting as well. Mm -hmm. that, that's a really, really good advice there that actually people need to find their own way again. You know, we, we, we connected the first time in the pandemic where the only way to connect is how we do now. Life has become very much now on the screen. Soon we both have a background from hospitality. It's the place where you meet humans. You, I get energized by meeting other people. Most people does. Most people need to meet other people. How social connection and what I'm trying to get to is that how do we make sure in a more and more digital world that the social connection is still happening? Because how is that impacting happiness? Because feels a bit like I come from the most happiest country in the, in the world, Denmark, apparently. It seems like the Danes are also losing a bit of their happiness post-pandemic. Uh, so so how, how does this impact us that we are not able to, to socialize as much as we could before? So I think the tricky question, Michael, I must say, yes. <laughs> because I think we're still waiting for lots of different types of research to show us that impact. And now we are more in a hybrid environment, which I think, yeah. again, is impacting of how you're feeling about your connections. But what we know generally about social connections and happiness is that they do matter. They truly matter. And one of my guests on the podcast was uh, Robin Dunbar, who is a professor of, of evolutionary psychology at the University of Oxford. Really? And he actually pr makes it very clear through his research that actually friendships, friendships are vital to our happiness. Not only that, he says that the single best predictor of our psychological health, well-being, and even how long we're going to live for is the number and quality of close friends that we have. Okay? Yeah. And when we, then I challenged him saying, well, great, <laughs> but how do we even measure the quality of friendship? And, you know, we all have friends that are a little bit at times, uh, how that works. And again, he speaks about quality of friendships in terms of our friends. He calls them friends, the, our shoulder to cry on friends. Okay. Mm. So if something could be happening in your life that you need a helping hand, who would you call? And who is that person that will drop everything they do 
and race back to help you. That's your quality friendships. And those friendships is what matters when it comes to happiness. Because first of all, it's about the connection and we need to have a certain sense of belonging to feel happy and acceptance. And that's what friends do. They criticize with love. They lift us up when we need it. And they say, hey, you are a wonderful human being. And, I, and I'm so glad that you are in my life. And secondly, it's about the fact that we do become who we hang out with. So again, there is so much interesting research around the fact that, you know, we become our friends, we become our social network. So if we, if we want to be more happy, then think about your friendship and whether you're hanging out with people who are happy and contribute to your happiness. So yeah, I think this is a very interesting piece of research when it comes to social connections, friendship and happiness. Yeah, and you're really interested. You talked about, you know, who are they? Because that was the first thing I thought, like, what is the, what does quality of friends? And I mm-hmm. totally get now who they are and those names running in my head, who that would be. And, and I know who will call if I haven't called them for some time and say, how are you? Everything all right? And da, 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 da. So these are the kind of friends. And, and I guess the number of them is not so important. It's more that you have often conversation with or you stay in contact with them because that's a really interesting thing I found myself as so I have two small kids I live in a different country than the country I come from and of course some of my very close friends lives in Denmark and you know we can't stay in contact like we all we have all the technology but there is that thing when you then I go back to Denmark where I've just been it's really important for me just to connect at least with one or two of them there's like four of them if I get to one or two of them, I actually come back with a whole different energy levels. I found out that's one of my hacks. It doesn't have to be long. One of them I just saw for half an hour because he has small kids himself as well. And there's just not much time. Mm. But that coffee where I, in principle, didn't talk about anything about work or anything. We just talked about the past in principle. Absolutely. And, and R- Professor Robin Dunbar really encourages that, that yes, it's great we live in an era of technology and we can connect, we can, and let's keep that connection. But face-to-face being with each other is so important because when we are with, with each other, you know, you tap your friend on the shoulder, they give you a hug, you look into each other's eyes, and what happens? Your endorphins, your endorphins are, you know, shooting all over the place. And what that means is that that boosts our immune system. So that's why he, in his research, is able to link the le- friendship with the length of how long you're going to live. Because the more endorphins is generated by friendships, the better immune system, the stronger immune system you have, and therefore you are better with dealing with stress, health, diseases, which of course then leads to longer life. So face-to-face contact, absolutely crucial. How that then connect back to, because you talk about hybrid working and I know there's lots of CEOs and business people that talk about they actually want people to come back in the office. And I don't know, it's probably not true. Only for happiness factor, there's probably also a control element for some, but actually some of them also understand that if, people don't feel part of belonging to the organization and they don't create that, they will, there's a bigger chance they will leave or they will get other issues, will then impact the, the work they do. And 
overall their own health I and mean, with their own health goals, they also they're gone for the company. How is that connected with, you know, how do we manage that? Because I think there's lots of them that find it very, very hard to, again, to build, you know, culture right now. And, you know, you work with every day, your job is to help building culture. Yes, absolutely. And I think the biggest aspect which you mentioned is that sense of belonging and linking to the purpose of the organization, that it's really difficult to do that if you every single day in your bedroom working on working for the organization rather than seeing the impact of your work and connecting with colleagues. I think really important aspect here is highlighting to call to colleagues those benefits because what happens with hybrid working and some of the arguments that colleagues will use before going on site or coming back to the office is like, well, but I'm more productive at work at home. I don't have the I don't have the busyness of the office to distract me. And that's great. Productivity, fantastic. Flexibility, yes, amazing. But there need to be an element of for colleagues to understand that that sense of belonging is so important. Connection, creativity, innovation does not happen when we are on our own in front of the laptop. So I think it's creating opportunities for so colleagues see that it's beneficial and also give managers a permission to bring their teams together. Because it's a one thing to say, well, yes, this is all very important. We're creating sense of belonging. And then there is no opportunities, whether because of the workload, because of a space, um, or whether it, there is no permission to actually uh, do so. And it's a thrown upon, how come you are not available on Teams whole day? Well, we were in a face-to-face team away day. So of course we were not. So it's really thinking about what barriers actually being created in your organization as a result of hybrid working. And you need to start as leaders, start removing them for people to go back. And I think just letting people to find that good balance. I'm not saying fully maybe go back if that's not what the organization is after, but how you finding that good balance. And as a leader, you're role modeling that as well. And really interesting. What I've seen, some of them that's done this really well. First of all, their hospitality businesses. So many people they need to be involved in, in the front line. But actually, one of them that's actually where they have redefined their beliefs around how work looks in this new area, and actually, how do we actually do our best work? And actually, you know, and some of it is productivity, but also some of it's connecting and the belonging, as you say. And actually, then putting that in and have very very clear processes around. How do we actually get people in helping us redefine our new belief systems around how work looks in the new era? Was this? The pandemic built this new era. And lots of people said it was the technology. It was actually the pandemic where we were forced to be back. We had the technology before the pandemic, but it was actually, and I believe there is some elements of productivity is important, but if we don't leave the four walls, we will go nuts in a way. I want to touch a couple of more things before we run out of time because you know so much about this and I can see already how we we dive into things because we're both very interested in this. <laughs> but what is like, you know, when we talk about, you know, one of the things I was thinking about or making a note about as well, there's like this negative emotion that can really impact our day and we already touched a little bit on it. Like, how do we actually, you know, make them a natural part of life. Because I also believe sometimes that things are hard. You talked about in the beginning, there's times when things are tough. 
We just need to lean into it. How, well, you know, how do we do that? And is that actually also happiness? I believe it's happiness, but is that happiness? Yes, absolutely. I don't think so. We should be up, kind of smiling when we don't feel it, uh, laughing in the face of difficulties, uh, staying positive despite everything that is happening. I really think that is great, good advice someone gives you, but actually it's not useful and it's actually not healthy either. It's okay to not to be okay. And the fact that you're not experiencing um, negative emotions is actually not indicator of positive well-being because you might be in denial. You might be completely shuffling all those negative, difficult feelings somewhere and you don't want to be feeling them. That is not an indicator of positive well-being. So what we need to understand is that any emotions, and rather than maybe even calling them negative, thinking about they're just big feelings, they're more complex. Mm. They're just more complex. So we have anger, anxiety, frustration, sadness. They, they're more complex, convoluted feelings. They are absolutely part of who we are. And they actually help us to grow and learn. And yeah. what we need to think about is how do we balance, how do we recognize them, acknowledge them, and then balance them with some positive emotion. So in here, we have a fantastic research by Barbara Fredrickson, who, again, is a leading scholar within positive psychology, and she speaks about positivity ratio, okay? Well, she speaks about that in order to have positive well-being, you need to have three positive emotions to every one negative feeling, because negative feelings and big feelings are always stronger, because that's how evolutionary our brain is wired. We, we look for, neg we have negativity bias. We concentrate mm -hmm. on what negative because that's what helped us to survive because we are able to spot the dangers in our environment. So of course, when we feel negative emotions and big feelings, we, we frankly remember them more. We, we, we get, we, you know, sometimes even kind of sucked in into them much for much longer. So what she says is, well, three positive emotions to one ne negative feeling, okay? But that doesn't, she doesn't say, don't feel negative feelings. She doesn't say, you know, don't have any of them. She says, feel them, acknowledge them, experience them. What can you learn from them? And then try to balance them with three small, with, with three positive feelings. And that way, you always will be in balance when it comes to that positive, positive well-being. And another really interesting piece of research to remember about when it comes to the more difficult, challenging emotions is that when it any strong emotion that causes physiological reaction in our body lasts approximately 90 seconds in its original intensity. It's around 90 seconds. So if during that 90 second, you can, seconds, you can really sit with that emotion, then it will ease in, and then you can think, okay, what am I going to do with this emotion? And the what is the purpose of this emotion? And what am I going to do next? Allowing you to have that pause to then act in the act, kind of, you know, act on it. And that's why meditation and mindfulness is so powerful because that's exactly what it does. It allows us that 90 seconds of I'm feeling it, I'm feeling all of it, the intensity. Eases off 
and now we can be thinking, okay, so what's how what what am I experiencing here? Why am I experiencing it? How I'm going to act upon it? Yeah, I think it's just really interesting using the the challenge or the the negative emotion to make yourself better. How can you turn it around that the world is not against you, but actually it's the opportunity to learn, to progress. And again, that's again, coming back to a bit more optimistic view. And then you do your different hacks you have to get yourself back on track. Mm. If that's meditation. And, and, or... and being curious, I think generally like, you know, I found it so interesting to, to learn about myself and think like, oh, why this? Why this thing makes me angry? Why is it? Mm. No, it didn't make my my part my husband angry, but it makes me bloody pissed off. Why is that? And then you can oh, it's really interesting. Okay, so I find it that if we approach life like this, it becomes also more interesting for us, <laughs> and we then think, okay, this is maybe not useful for me, or yeah, actually it is useful, and actually someone was was overstepping my boundary. And actually, I should have felt angry because it was a microaggression. And actually, I need this anger to say, no, that is not okay. Or is it something that I'm actually feeling this because I'm feeling insecure and actually I'm having a negative self-talk. And I'm just, you know, my negative self-talk generally is, I call it the underminer. You know, here we go. The underminer is out, undermining maybe my actions, undermining what I said, how I said it. And then I can say, okay, great. That's why I got angry because I felt insecure. And actually, this is not useful for me. So let me now think how I can pick myself up from it. So I think that awareness and curiosity is so important. What about yourself and, you know, on your journey here, especially the last two years, is like, is there, you know, any significant learning you've had around happiness the last two years, because you now, I think you've been on this journey for a bit more than four years, probably before as well, the happiness challenge, there's probably been a whole journey before you found out, I'm going to do a podcast about this. For me, the biggest, the biggest learning is that I don't have to be on the mercy of what my brain is dishing me out mm. and I can decide how I want to feel and I can rewire my brain. So I'm actually really anxious as a person. I was born as a very sick, poor, sick uh, kid and I was really anxious. My family is quite anxious as individuals. So actually my brain is really prone to anxiety. And what this journey taught me is I don't have to be on the mercy of it. I don't have to do that, even though that's how genetically my brain has been wired out. Because my brain, because all our brains, not only mine, has plasticity. So it can be changed and reshaped by our actions at any age, at absolutely any age. And now scientists know it. Okay. It was a big kind of scientific discovery to understand that at any page, we can learn new skills, adopt new behaviors, and we can rewire our brain. Our brain never stops changing. And when I mean, and yeah, and what I mean by rewiring is that we can literally change a structure of our brain if we repeat certain happiness-boosting habits. So, for example, mindfulness works for so many people because it changes your brain for the better. It increases number of 
cells in a part of your brain that helps you to be better at regulating emotion. So that's just one example. But for me, it's, you know, we just need to be open and determined. I'm not saying it's easy. It is the challenge. That's why the podcast is called the happiness challenge. We just need to be open and determined to create, trying different tools to create our heart, to create more happiness. Yeah, and the, the, the very famous Stoic, well, because I'm very much into Stoic philosophy, as shared with you, post this interview as a previous interview as well, where it's called obstacle in principle is the way that your way, how you get a better life. So when you learn to deal, if it's emotion or external things, if you learn to deal with them, you become more happy and you become more content with yourself. And exactly about strengthening the soul more than else. Is there, you know, there's lots of advice out there. And actually I wanted to touch on that bit before, but I think it fits really well with, with your learning here. So there's lots of advice on happiness. If I Google, how do I become more happy? There's this whole industry that's trying to make people better. Where do I go? Why? To find, you know, you know, proper tool, proper help. So I don't get misguided. And I guess there's not one source, but like, is there any rules of thumb? to think about when you go out and seek advice? For me, it's always been, it's based in science. That's how I approach. This is what speak, speaks to me pers personally. So yes, I think I always look at, you know, has there been some kind of hypothesis? Has someone researched this? Has someone tested this out? And if yes, I can have a look into it. It's, it's good, it's positive to learn from other people's experiences, but I personally love to have a bit of science and to understand why. Because I guess if we take an advice and people say, well, this works really well, but my next question is, about, but why? What happens? I, I want to understand what happens in my body if I do this. What happens to my mind when I do this? I, I want to have that. And that's why science is so, so useful. So I would really scan that level of scientific research behind the advice given. I find it fascinating. And then I know, okay, this is interesting. This, work, this works from a different perspective, has been tested differently. I may, I may give it a go. And then that bit, give it a go. You know, it doesn't matter if it doesn't, work, if it doesn't work for you or it works for you. What matters is that you are be you applying your critical thinking to understand what's good for you and no one knows you as you know you so just be brave try it out and see what happens great yeah because you need to start to change things that's the the key thing great claudia that that's been some great things here where can people learn more about you where can they find the podcast uh, where can they connect with you where's the best place to go so the website is called the happiness challenge and co.uk. So you have all the information there, including all the episodes of the four C seasons that I, that I produced so far. By all means, connect with me on LinkedIn. Just put my name. My name in the UK is unusual because it's Claudia Spade spelled with K because I'm originally Polish. So you definitely find me. I do have the happiness challenge newsletter on LinkedIn which is a monthly one to sign up to with specific hacks and happiness boosting habits. And also this year I've been working really hard to pull everything that I tested out into a book. So I'm hoping to publish a book next year, The Alphabet of Happiness with 26 different 
happiness boosting habits that can help you to create more happiness in your own skill at in your own skin at work and in relationships. So keep in touch. I would love to and uh, know how how you're doing and how's it going for you because I think that's the best way to to learn with other people. We're looking forward to to get that book in our our hands, Claudia. Thank you so much. Power and energy to to you and the journey at the Happiness Challenge. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate it or give it a review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader. So I've helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here in the show and myself over the years. Find it on Hospitality Mavericks website, hospitalitymavericks.com, under the reading list. A big thank you to BizTemply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymaverick.com. I'm Michael Tingsev, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!